0: Well, this book of first Corinthians that we've been studying is actually a letter. It is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in Corinth in the middle of the first century. He writes to challenge those Corinthians and to encourage them. And in chapter eight of this letter, he began a new section that will continue all the way through the first verse of chapter 11. So we're in the middle of that section now. He is writing about meat that is offered to idols. There was disagreement amongst the Corinthians as to whether or not a Christian could buy and eat meat that had been sacrificed to false gods in a temple. So the issue beneath that issue that Paul has been addressing so far is that while some of the believers in Corinth were right in their theology, they were wrong in their attitude. They had their doctrine right. They understood that there was freedom to eat this meat that had been offered to idols, but their attitude, the way they were going about it, the way they were relating to other Christians, it was wrong. They did have liberty to eat the meat, but their liberty, it should have been constrained by love. And it wasn't. Sinclair Ferguson writes, we are given liberty in Christ in order to be servants of others, not in order to indulge our own preferences. So another way of saying the problem is that they had full hearts, full heads, excuse me, but empty hearts. Their heads were full of good knowledge, but their hearts were empty. They lacked love for their brothers and sisters. And so Paul pointed that out. He pointed that out in chapter 8. Now in chapter 9, what we have is an example of applying chapter 8. So these principles in chapter 8, this is now what it looks like in chapter 9. And the example is Paul himself. Paul practiced what he preached. Paul preached that our liberties should be constrained by love, and so Paul's liberties were constrained by love. Paul was willing to even refuse his rights for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We studied the first 14 verses a couple weeks ago where Paul, some of you will remember, he defended his apostleship. And then he declared his rights as an apostle. And then, surprisingly, he moved all those rights aside. And he denied those rights for the sake of the Corinthians. Out of love for them. Out of love for God. So, we're continuing on in that chapter. Chapter 9, where Paul puts himself forward as an example We're going to continue on, and here's what we'll find today. That Paul was totally content and happy to deny himself his rights for the Corinthians. So he didn't do that begrudgingly. He did it joyfully. He was glad to have his liberties constrained by love. He was glad to give things up. He was glad to take things on. And he'll make clear today exactly why that was. So as we move forward, let's remember what it is that we're doing. This is God's word that we're reading. This is God's word that we're studying. This is God's word that we're considering today. And in God's word alone, we learn who we are. More importantly, we learn who God is. And most importantly, we learn how we might be reconciled to God and live a life of gratitude that pleases Him, that honors Him, that glorifies Him. But none of that will happen. None of that will happen. His Word will be ineffective in our minds and hearts unless God helps us. Unless He uses His Holy Spirit to open our minds and open our hearts and change us, which is why we pray. Please bow your heads with me. Our Father in Heaven, as we read and study Your Word this morning, would You fill us with Your Holy Spirit in such a way that our Minds and hearts, our attention, our understanding, and our emotions are all captivated by you and your truth so that we may know you more fully, love you more deeply, and trust you more faithfully. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you're using one of our church Bibles, you will find today's text on page 900. If you're able, I would encourage you to put your Bible in your lap, your phone in your pocket. I understand for some of you, your Bible is on your phone. That's okay. Just no score checking. Or game playing. Some of you don't realize that when you do that, there's people behind you. So they know you're doing it. I say that not to shame you, but to stop you. My plan as we read through this text is to work through these verses under three headings. so if you're taking notes and you'd like to know where we're going before you get in the back seat of the car, Paul's commitment, Paul's compulsion, And Paul's compensation. Those are the three headings that we'll work under. Again, that is Paul's commitment. And Paul's compulsion. And then Paul's compensation. So let's begin in verse 15. With Paul's commitment. But I have made no use of any of these rights. Nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. This is a very interesting text that we're reading today. Paul is going to boast today. Uh, Paul is going to make clear that there is an achievement in his life that he is proud of. That there is work in his life that he is proud of. There is, we see it right here, a commitment that he is made, that he looks on with pride and satisfaction. And I say that's interesting because that kind of pride is something that most Christians are really uncomfortable with. We struggle with how to do that. We're quick to deflect or at least to to not say what may be in our hearts when we are proud of something that we've done or when we are feeling boastful about some work that we've done or some achievement that we've made and we, we want to just get the focus and the spotlight off of ourselves and off of our work, which is probably a good impulse and get the glory and the boasting onto God and to give Him credit. Those are great impulses. But nevertheless, Paul here, is going to, and he does this in other places, he's going to express a pride, a boast in something that he's done. So Paul begins by repeating, he's repeating here something he said in verse 12, right? He has decided not to demand certain rights. There were rights that Have been described in the verses before. And they were rights of an apostle of Jesus Christ. He could easily say that these are things that are owed to him. He could claim them and demand them. He doesn't. But here are those rights. Verse 4. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Verse 5. Do we not have the right to taking along a believing wife? He's talking about provision that would be provided for A preacher for a pastor and for his family, including his wife. If there were children, children, of course. Verse 12, if others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? So there was a tradition that when public speakers would come to town, that they would pay them and provide for them and all their needs. He says, well, we as apostles, do we not have a right to that even more? And then in verse 14, he says it very explicitly. He spells it out in the same way. The Lord, that is the Lord Jesus, commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So as an apostle of Jesus Christ, Paul is, as a, as a man who has been called and now sent by God to speak and to write the infallible, inerrant word of God, Paul... As an apostle, he was entitled to certain rights. Like the right to have his material needs met. As he devoted himself to leading the church. Verse 14 again. The Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But what does Paul say here in this verse 15? I have made no use Of any of these rights. And then he says this. Nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. In other words. Paul is not here laying out a case. For a change in demands. Paul is not saying. Well up until this point. I have refused this right, but now I'm going to claim it. And for those of you who are here, when you read those first 14 verses, it looks like that's what Paul is doing. He's making a strong case that these are his rights to have his material needs provided. And so he clarifies here, not only have I not made use of those rights, but I'm not now writing to you to guilt trip you or to shame you, to get some money out of you. That is still my plan. It is to refuse these rights. I am not writing, he says, to secure any such provision. Paul is not in it for the money. He puts it this way down in verse 18. What then is my reward that in preaching I may present the gospel free of charge? And in 2 Corinthians eleven seven, 7, Paul says, I preached God's gospel to you free of charge. This is Paul's commitment. This here is Paul's commitment. He has a rightful claim to be compensated, but he refuses it. He has worked hard and he deserves his wages, but he denies them. This was Paul's commitment to all the churches. This was a hallmark of Paul's ministry. Wherever Paul went, while Paul was among a people, he was always committed to preaching the gospel to them free of charge. Now, after he moved on, If he found himself in need, he still would refuse that right in the church where he was preaching the gospel. But sometimes churches where he had been but was no longer, they would send him people or supplies or support. But when he was among them, he supported himself. He supported himself through tent making. And he would not take a cent from those he was preaching to. That's quite an achievement. That would have been difficult. That would have been stressful. That would have produced a lot of anxiety. But that is Paul's commitment. It was very important to Paul. How important? Look at the second sentence in verse 15. For I would rather die. Have you ever said that? About something? I'd rather die than do that. I'd rather be caught dead. Before you'd find me in that place with those people doing that stuff. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. That's a strong statement. We can all see that, but it actually is stronger than you might think. It it loses some of its strength when this is translated from Greek into English. There's actually something in the construction of this sentence that is very hard to hold on to during translation. Anthony Thistleton He has written one of the most widely respected commentaries on this letter. And here is what he says about the structure of this verse. In grammar and syntax, this is known as aposapesis. I apologize if I'm pronouncing that wrong. I'd never heard of this. Aposapesis. I would rather die than, here's how it would read, I would rather die than, hyphen. Well, no one shall invalidate my ground for boasting. He goes on. We may imagine Paul dictating the letter, reaching a peak of white hot fervor with, I would rather die than, and realizing mid flow that he must keep to the subject. Most English versions smooth the syntax away into something blander and less passionate. So this is a rhetorical device of suddenly breaking off in speech. You hear this in sermons often. I'm sure you've heard me do this when a a preacher is building in intensity and building and building and then maybe stops mid-sentence, doesn't even finish the sentence and then returns back to an underlying point. That's what Paul is doing here. As he dictates this letter, which he would have been doing, dictating his words to a scribe. And the scribe is trying to capture Paul's words and trying to capture his sentiment. So Paul is passionate when he says this. So let me read the verse one more time in its entirety. Verse 15. But I have made... No use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. In other words, I would rather die than receive provision from you. I would rather die than receive money from you. That is how important this commitment was to Paul. So the next question The next logical question might be, why was it so important to Paul? Why was it so important to Paul? That is not important to me. I don't feel the same passion and heat that Paul feels to offer the gospel free of charge. I do not volunteer here as a pastor. I don't feel compelled to volunteer as a pastor. I do claim this right as a pastor. But Paul passionately denied this right. He actually hints at why in this verse. He doesn't actually say, I would rather die than take your money. Even though that's clearly what he is talking about. He says, look with me. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. So track with me. For Paul, to secure provision would deprive him of his ground for boasting. For Paul... To receive material compensation would be to lose his ground for boasting. So this commitment of Paul to preach the gospel free of charge enables him to boast in some way. Let me say that again. This commitment of Paul to preach the gospel free of charge to not secure any provision that commitment enables him to boast in some way now, Paul was not proud Paul was not arrogant so he can't mean that refusing this right enabled him to brag About what an amazing pastor he was. He didn't refuse that right. So that he could lord it over the Corinthians. Don't you forget who I am. At any point I could collect a salary. At any point. You say something I don't like. You cross me. And start writing some checks. He doesn't do that. He's not boasting about. How servant hearted he is. Look at me. Look how wonderful I am. Look what I'm willing to give up. In fact, he's already said this about boasting in this letter. In chapter 1, verse 31. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This isn't a sinful boast. So we should take a few minutes here. This phrase is is difficult to understand. This ground for boasting. Remember our heading. This is Paul's commitment. He is committed to refusing this right to material provision because if he claims that right, he loses his ground for boasting. So here are a few other ways that this verse has been translated. The King James Version says, It were better for me to die than that any man should make my glorying Void. Here's the NIV. I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. Or the New American Standard says, it would be better for me to die than have any man make my boast an empty one. So these three words, ground for boasting, is the English translation of one word, kachema, in the Greek. And it means a ground for being satisfied with achievements. A reason, a foundation, a ground beneath being satisfied with achievements. So, according to that definition, offering the gospel free of charge is an achievement. That Paul stands on. And it gives him great satisfaction. It brings him a sense of joy to offer the gospel free of charge. It gives him a sense of confidence, of fulfillment, and he would rather die than give that up. That's what Paul is saying. These rest of these verses, they'll deepen our understanding. But keep that commitment of Paul's in mind as we move on now to verses 16 through 17. Paul's compulsion. Verse 16. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. So remember what gives Paul... Ground for boasting is preaching the gospel free of charge, not merely preaching the gospel. So that's what he's saying here. It's not just the preaching of the gospel that gives him ground for boasting. It's preaching the gospel free of charge. Well, why not? For necessity is laid upon me. In other words, I have to preach the gospel. I must preach the gospel. I have no choice in the matter. It is not a decision of mine or an achievement of mine that I can somehow take pride in or boast in. In fact, he goes on, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So Paul's compulsion is to preach the gospel. His compulsion is to preach the gospel. The Lord Jesus himself came to Paul on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9 and saved him and called him to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And when Jesus did that, that was not a job offer, that was a job assignment. It was not something for Paul to consider, it was something for Paul to do. Paul knew that. He had no right to consider that calling from Jesus. He had no right to think about it or weigh his options and determine whether or not it was the best thing for him to do with his life. It was a commandment from Jesus, so he was constrained to preach. To not preach would be to be disobedient. It was Paul's duty to preach. It was Paul's obligation to preach. It's no surprise Paul describes himself in Romans 1. One then this way. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. The prophet Jeremiah, he was under the same compulsion. He wrote in Jeremiah 29, If I say... I will not mention him that is God. I will not mention God or speak any more in his name. There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in and cannot. He was constrained to preach. It was Paul's duty to preach the gospel. And so in preaching the gospel, he had nothing to boast in because he had no choice in the matter. Duty is nothing to boast in. Obedience is nothing to boast in. Obedience and duty are not to be rewarded. As if it was optional. Obedience is Mandatory. Duty is mandatory. It is obligation, not an achievement. Obedience isn't. Not an achievement to stand on with great satisfaction, joy, and confidence. Paul understood Jesus' words in Luke 17:10. Jesus said, So you also. When you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Christians should not boast in obedience. Christians should not boast in duty. Sometimes Christian parents, and I've been guilty of this, Help their children to boast in obedience by rewarding them from obedience. Like, I can't believe you obeyed. <laughs> but obedience is an obligation. Obedience to authorities that God has put in your life, obedience to your parents, if your children, obedience first and foremost to God. We're people under authority. And you have obligations as a Christian and you have duties as a Christian. You have compulsions as a Christian and you are constrained to do them. And when you do them, you honor God and are doing what is right. But there's certainly nothing to boast in. It's not some sort of achievement that you can stand on with joy, great satisfaction and confidence. That's something different. You are, as the disciples were, an unworthy servant And when you have done what you were commanded to do, you have only, is the word used, you have only just, that's all, done what was your duty. Here's the point Paul is making. Preaching the gospel was Paul's compulsion. His obligation. And so it gave him no ground for boasting. But rather... What gave Paul ground for boasting was his commitment. His commitment to preach the gospel free of charge. He crystallizes this point in verse 17. Let me read it to you along with verse 16. Follow along with me. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And here's verse 17. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. Here's what Paul is saying. Look with me at verse 17. If I do this, that is, if I preach the gospel of my own will, in other words, it's optional, not obligational, it's my choice, then I have a reward, which is another way of saying I have a ground for boasting. But if not of my own will, in other words, it's obligatory, it's of necessity, it is my duty, then I am still entrusted with a stewardship. He was a steward. He was a steward entrusted with the gospel, and he had a job to do, and it was preaching that gospel. You see, Paul had been commanded to preach, but he had not been commanded to refuse provision. He had been commanded to preach the gospel, but he had not been commanded to preach the gospel free of charge, preaching Was not optional. And so preaching gave Paul no ground for boasting. But refusing provision. Preaching the gospel free of charge. Was optional. Paul had liberty there. Paul had freedom there. He could claim it or not claim it. He could demand that provision. Or he could deprive himself that provision. That's the point. So let me summarize this so far in one sentence. Paul's compulsion is to preach the gospel. And his commitment is to preach the gospel free of charge. That leaves us with one more verse. His commitment, his compulsion, and now his compensation. Verse 18. What then is my reward? What is my compensation? He's asking. What's in it for me? Why am I doing this? What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge. So as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. That's an interesting answer. He just did a loop. Like the last answer is the first answer. He comes full circle. In verse 15, the first verse, Paul said that refusing his right to provision was his ground for boasting. In verse 18, Paul says that presenting the gospel free of charge was his reward. So you see he's using reward and ground for boasting to talk about the same thing. His reward is that he can confidently and joyfully stand on something that he has done with a sense of pride and satisfaction. And it is his commitment to preach the gospel free of charge. Think about this. It gives Paul great satisfaction to sacrifice himself for God and for others. It is his pleasure to do so. It gives him great pleasure to offer the gospel with no strings attached. With no price tag. Paul boasts in this achievement that his liberty has been constrained by love. He has given something very important up. He has voluntarily put himself in a difficult position for the sake of. Of the gospel. He is not wasting his life. And he knows it. This is proof of that. It gives him confidence that he is willing, out of love for God and love for others, to give so much up. He is proud of this commitment. It gives Paul confidence that he really does love God and he really does love others. I don't just do what I'm driven to do by duty. I'm not a Christian who just merely acts out of obligation. I don't have to do this. It's difficult for me to do this. I'm sacrificing things to do this. But I want to do it. I desire to do it. What does that do for a Christian soul? I really do love God. I really do love God. I really do love people. There's nothing in this for me. This is not going to go well for me. This is going to be more difficult for me. There's an easier road. There's a road with more comfort. There's a road with less obstacles. But I'm willing to do this. I'm not only willing to do this. I I do this joyfully. So it is proof. It is confidence. I'm boasting in this. I'm proud of this. It gives me confidence. I really do love God. I really do love His people. This is how Paul goes, what's the phrase, above and beyond the call of duty. He's going above and beyond the call of duty, and it is his ground for boasting. And of course, don't lose sight of this. This boasting in preaching the gospel free of charge is truly a boasting in God who strengthened and enabled Paul for every good work. Boasting in Paul's vocabulary means expressing a rightful sense of joy and fulfillment in what God had done through him. That's how this boasting, that's how this pride in what he has done is not sinful. But he really is. It's unmistakable, isn't it? He really is boasting Boasting in a commitment that he has made. He truly is taking pride in something that he has done. And you know what that feels like. And sometimes you're worried when you feel that. Paul really did have a sense of pride in this commitment that he had made, he stood on it as an achievement that gave him joy and confidence in his Christian walk. Because he knew that even in doing that, and he did that, that it was enabled by God, that he was strengthened by God. So let me just give you a a scripture that helps put that together and and sort of tie up the the loose ends. It's Romans chapter 15, verses 17 and 18. This is is how Paul boasted. This is how Paul took pride in things that he had done. In Christ Jesus then, Paul writes, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. So that's the first part. He says it very clearly there, doesn't he? That he takes pride in his work for God. I'm proud of this. I look on it with joy and confidence. A sense of fulfillment in my life. I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. You see how that works. I've done this. I made this decision. I've made this commitment to offer the gospel free of charge, and that is my ground for boasting. I am proud of that decision. I am proud of that commitment. It has not been easy. It is an achievement. I've done it joyfully. It gives me a sense of fulfillment, confidence, etc. But I will not venture to be proud of anything that I have done that I don't know Jesus has actually done through me. So that is the bedrock beneath it so that it's not even in his boasting and his pride in his work it's not look at me and how great I am it's really look at god and how great he is so that is paul's commitment his compulsion and his compensation his compulsion is to preach the gospel His commitment is to preach the gospel free of charge. His compensation is the commitment. His reward is that he gets to preach the gospel free of charge, he gets to sacrifice himself. And his comfort. Out of love for God and love for others. He is totally content. And happy to deny himself his rights. For the Corinthians. Paul was glad to have his liberty constrained by love. He does it not to get something from others or to get something from God, but out of love for God and love for others, he did it joyfully, not begrudgingly. And so the commitment itself. Is his compensation. His reward. So in conclusion, as we think about our own lives. You have your own compulsions. You have your own obligations. You have your own duties. I have mine and you have yours. And you must fulfill them. And your fulfillment of them is no ground for boasting you should not do what you're obligated to do and what you're bound to do by duty so that you would have something to brag about or something to boast in or something to take pride in some of you are husbands and you have duties as a husband your wives and you have duties as wives mothers Fathers, sons, daughters, brothers, sisters, church members, employees, citizens of the United States of America, men, women. You have obligations. Obligations that God has made clear in his word that this is what you ought to do. And this is what you ought not to do. And you and I must have a heart and attitude that says, I must obey. It is not optional. These are not things I get to think about or consider. When you know what the right thing to do is, you must do the right thing. Every time that you won't, and I won't, and you don't, and I don't, but that is the standard. We're under compulsions. And when we obey, we remember that we are merely unworthy servants and we have only done what is our duty. So you have compulsions like Paul. You also have commitments. I know what my commitments are. You know what your commitments are. What about your commitments? These areas now we're talking about where there's freedom, where there's liberty. Things you're free to do, free not to do. At liberty to do, at liberty not to do. You're free to take this on or not take this on. You're free to give this up or not give this up. And when you give it up or don't give it up or take it on or don't take it on, you're making a commitment. And Paul's commitment was, I'm going to preach the gospel, but I'm going to do it free of charge. What are your commitments? Is there only duty? Is there only obligation? Is there only compulsion? Is there only doing what you have to do or the things that you want to do, you do because they result in your pleasure? And only your satisfaction? What commitments have you made or do you make that are out of love for God? and love for others. Commitments that you've made. That end up being a ground for boasting in your life. Work that you've done for God and others that you're proud of. That gives you a sense of confidence that you are a child of God because you've given things up and taking things on that are not easy, that are difficult. That you didn't get something earthly out of, but it was out of love for God and love for someone else or love for others. What sacrifices have you made? What sacrifices will you make? What do you stand on? As the ground for boasting? What evidence is there in your life? In the choices you have made that prove you love God and love others? How has God enabled and strengthened you to make commitments that you are not bound to make? Some of you, I know, have sacrificed money. Some of you have sacrificed comfort. Some of you have sacrificed higher paying jobs for lower paying jobs so that you could be with your family more. You could have more time to minister to your family and friends and others. Some of you I know you have your sights on getting out of high paying jobs so that you may minister more to God's people. So that you may pursue full-time preaching of the gospel. Some of you have sacrificed your energy and your money and comfort. We could say you've sacrificed your whole life to adopt children. Or to care for foster children. Some of you sacrifice and give up your time and, and maybe your reputation and your sense of confidence to go preach the gospel in public places where they do not want to hear the gospel. I know this. Some of you go downtown Some of you go into assisted living facilities and other places. Some of you stand in front of Planned Parenthood. You preach the gospel and you do it joyfully. You do it not under compulsion, not under obligation, but cheerfully out of love for God and love for others. Many of you in different ways, you give things up. Or you take things on, things you don't have to give up, but you choose to. You take things on that you don't need to take on, but you choose to. It could be a motive behind many things that you already do. It could be a motive behind your work. It could be a motive behind some sort of ministry that you do. But what sacrifices would God have you make for the gospel? For those of you who are young, For those of you who are still under your parents' authority. For those of you who are still in your parents' home and will be making so many decisions. I'm thinking of my boys right now. The decisions you will make in the next few years of your life. What you will devote your time to. What you will devote your energy to. What you will devote your money to. What will it be? How will you not waste your life? How will you not just barely make it through the narrow gate into heaven? How will you secure for yourself a a reward in heaven? What will you do on this earth that you can take pride in? Not because it makes you look good, because it makes God look good. Not because it puts you in the spotlight, but because it puts God in the spotlight. How can you draw attention to God? Not to us, O God, but to your name. Be the glory. Each and every one of us, what sacrifices would God have us make for the gospel? Now, here's what we're tempted to want right now. Very specific answers. And I can't do that. Legalism would be for me to tell you what to give up. Legalism would be for me to coerce you into taking something on. We lose the point then, don't we? Friends, it's what will you do with your freedom? What will you do with your liberty? What will you give up? What will you take on? What is it time to sacrifice? What are you ready to sacrifice? What are you willing and ready to give up? What is God making clear to you? What is it in your life that you stand on with a sense of pride and satisfaction? I'm so glad that God has strengthened and enabled me to do this. It brings me great joy. It gives me great confidence in my relationship with God that he is strengthening and enabling me to do something that I know I could not do on my own strength. Do you have something in your life that you can point to like that? Or is it all duty? and obligation, and constraint, and compulsion. You see what Paul is saying here. He's happy. He's happy to use his liberty and to use his freedoms to love God and to love others. Finally, to those of you who aren't believers here today, there is something for you to know and to see here. This gospel that Paul was committed to preaching free of charge comes to you free of charge. I suspect that was part of the point that Paul was trying to make with this. He presented the gospel. He preached with no strings attached, with no price tag. And the gospel itself, we know, comes to us with no strings attached and no price tag. It is good news that you hear... You hear. It is good news that you hear and then believe. It is good news that you believe, that you take hold of, that you receive by placing your faith in Jesus. By believing that Jesus came and lived and suffered and died and rose again in the place of sinners like you, like me. So that sinners like you and like me could be reconciled to God. And it's not just a fairy tale anymore. It's not just a story anymore. It's not fiction. It's true. It's reality. It is the good news. It is the best news. If you believe that today. If you believe that. Commit yourself to Christ. I'm yours because of who you are. I'm yours because of what you've done. Where else would I go? What you want from me, I want for me. Where you would have me go, that's where I'll go. What you would have me do, that's what I'll do. My life is not my own My life is yours forever. For the rest of us, let's respond this morning through communion as we do every week following every sermon. That's sort of the peak of our worship service together where we've heard the gospel and we've said the gospel and we've sung the gospel and now we see the gospel. We have these symbols that God has given us By which we see and taste. And our minds are reminded of. The good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. First Corinthians 11. Verse 23 and following says. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we're remembering and proclaiming the Lord's sacrificial death this morning. If you're visiting with us, let me say a couple things. Number one, you would be invited to take communion with us today if you are a believer You are a believer, you have confessed your sin, you have placed your faith in Christ. You have been baptized as an outward representation of your commitment to and your union to Jesus Christ. And you have committed yourself not only to Christ, but to his body. So you are a member or committed to a local church, whether it's this one or another one where you hear the same gospel preached that you've heard here today. If you are a Christian today on those terms, You're welcome to take communion with us. We'll have leaders up front who will serve you. We ask that you empty into the center aisle and come forward. We'll give you bread and juice and then return to your seat. And if you would wait, and we'll take communion together as a church family. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, in response now to your word today, we're turning our attention to... The sacrificial death of your son. And it is our desire to remember his death now. To proclaim his death now. And to. Consider. What you have done. To save us. So may you be glorified as we. Remember and proclaim his sacrifice in our place so that we could be reconciled to you. May you be glorified as we do this together as your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.